Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. To collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by comic, motivational speaker, and humor educator, Karen Williams. Karen Williams is a trailblazer in the world of LGBTQ comedy. Originally from the Bronx, New York, she now calls Euclid, Ohio home. Karen graduated summa cum laude from Cleveland State University with a personally designed major in humor and healing, and also received a Master of Education degree from the university's adult learning and development program. As a single lesbian mother living in Berkeley in the 1980s, she started doing stand-up comedy because it was something she could do that didn't cost her anything. She was featured in the award-winning comedy drama, We're Funny That Way, and was a 1999 Glamour Award nominee for her comedy CD, Human Beings, what a concept. She's worked as a comedy writer has performed at venues around the country, and is a regular featured artist on Olivia Cruz Lines. Karen has taught stand-up comedy in the Dramatic Arts Department at Cleveland State University. She's a creator of the Humor at Large workshop series and founder of the National Women's Comedy Conference. She is the founder and CEO of the International Institute of Humor and Healing Arts, the HaHa Institute. Karen founded the HaHa Institute in the late 1980s, shortly after presenting a rudimentary humor and healing workshop at an AIDS conference in Las Vegas. In 1988, she established the International Institute of Humor and Healing Arts as a virtual resource for humor education. The mission of the HaHa Institute is to encourage the fullest and highest activation of human potential for compassion, wisdom, and life force through the daily use of humor and healing arts, which includes stress management, nutrition, exercise, massage and healing touch, aromatherapy, and spiritual practices. Now she's ready to bring the HaHa Institute from its virtual home to a brick and mortar location to continue sharing the healing power of humor with the world. Karen, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing very, very well. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of your collection. Well, you know, I mean, it's like you're part of this collection, but we're part of 
another collection. I remember a night sitting in D.C. when the snow was coming down, and you talked about being a single lesbian mother, you have sons, I have a son. And it was like, you know, it's like, this is part of my tribe here. You know, the things that you go through with, with your kids, which can be not funny at the time, but really funny. And raising a black male son as a lesbian, the challenges of it. There was something that I really felt a strong connection with you that has grown every since. <laughs> well, and yes, and excuse my memory because I don't even remember when that was. It must have been yeah. quite some time. I feel like I've known you forever. <laughs> I know, yeah. I mean, it was at, it was at um, yeah, we were at an MBJC thing, and, you know, it snowed. Oh, and we right, spent... okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was quite mm-hmm. some time ago now, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You so, know, yeah, and I... both have come a long way. And, you know, and that thing about trying to, to find a way to, to take care of your kid, you know. Um, I often tell people, you know, I never knew how much it was going to be, you know, but knock on wood. I mean, my mother said, you know, well, hey, you've done this, so you're grown now, you know. You know, for, mm-hmm. you're grown now. You're a mother, and you have to take care of your kid. And you found a way, like you said, it was something, comedy was something you could do that didn't cost you anything, but it helped you take care of your kids and pay the bill. Well, yeah, and I mean, I'm so far past that now. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to say that in your opening, I listened. It was uh, the, the film Laughing Matters by Andrea Meyerson that was really the groundbreaking uh, comedy documentary that featured uh, Kate Clinton, uh, Marga Gomez, myself, and Suzanne Westenhofer that was really featured at the film festivals and won tons of awards, even though it was Mm -hmm. just her first film. And Andrea has gone on to produce many, many, many films now uh, that highlight uh, the lives of lesbians in particular. And Mm -hmm. so uh, We're Funny That Way was um, a film that came later when Mm -hmm. I was doing, working at Buddies in uh, in Bad Times at uh, in in uh, Toronto, Canada. So you know, I've been featured in so many things over the years, and then of course my own comedy DVD uh, that was also produced by Andrea, which is ten years old now. So that's something that's on the horizon for me in the very near future, um, because now I'm in the middle. I've just begun a tour. I uh, mm-hmm. last weekend was the beginning of my. Karen Williams Alive Tour, which I I say jokingly because usually it's, you know, so-and-so live. Well, I'm saying alive to let people know I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, you know, and you have, you've been doing comedy for a while. And often, I mean, you know, long before people knew about all these other black comedians and black lesbians, before Wanda Sykes was on the radar, you are to doing it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm fully acknowledged as the first out black lesbian comic in the United States who was doing lesbian material. So, you know, it, it's just, it, it's, uh, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area, so I'm sure that that had a lot to do with it. I knew Wanda Sykes on the circuit. In fact, one mm-hmm. year we both played uh, the Just for Laughs 
Comedy Festival in Montreal, and she was on the Uptown night, and I closed the festival on the Queer night. So, mm. you know, we saw each other, and I said, what are you doing on the Uptown night? She said, what are you doing on the Queer night, you know? And mm-hmm. we laughed about it because, you know, there's all these designations that we've had to live with and live through, you know? And mm-hmm. so, you know, even my comedy CD that's from 1994, I think, you know, I, it says human beings, what a concept. And, you know, that's kind of ultimately where I, you know, live these days is I just did a show this past weekend in, and in Apache Junction, Arizona, where there's a women's, there's a lesbian resort there. If they call it a resort, it's actually, you know, RV women who, you know, now live in, you know, really luxury trailers and stuff in this place. And, you know, 150 of them came to see me perform comedy. And, you know, I really just talked about, all of these transient identities that I've had to live through, you know, being a woman, being a lesbian, being black, you know, Caribbean, being, uh, you know, just, you know, a mom and just all the stuff that, all these identifiers. And I said, you know, for me at this stage of my career and of my life, my true identity is love. And Mm. that's what I really feel. I really feel that, you know, we live in times now that are so filled with so much animosity and hatred and and confusion and negativity, and those are individuals harboring those kinds of emotions and feelings, and I'm just choosing, you know, I've been filled with anger. It, it, anger makes you sick, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I've mm-hmm. been filled with doubt and confusion. It makes you sick. You know, the truth of the matter is I am, I want to, in a certain sense, I mean, the English language has got its limitations because I really feel as though I want to transcend all of that. You know, I'm at the age and stage now where, you know, I've seen plenty, I've experienced plenty, and, you know, I want to be on the love side of things, you know? Mm -hmm. If that's who, my choice, and I have a uh-huh. choice. Who inspired you? Who made you think that, you know what, I can do this? I'm, you know, I'm going to take this path. I can do this. You know, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be work. But this is something that, that could be my passion, could be something that I'm going to do. What inspired you? I think it's it's a combination, and I believe that, you know, we, we're kind of, you know, some people teach you who you want to be and some people teach you who you don't want to be. And mm-hmm. I certainly came up, uh, you know, living in the Bronx. I'm the oldest of seven children. My parents were teenagers when they had me. Um, I was exposed to an awful lot, you know, born in Manhattan, raised in the Bronx. New York City was just so vibrant to me. And, you know, I skipped two grades and I loved and I loved reading, and at the same time, you know, I have the West Indian side of my family that's from Barbados, and so, you know, many, many times I identify more with immigrants than I do, you know, mm-hmm. fifth and sixth generation, you know, African American, mm-hmm. because I'm still trying to live parts of the quote-unquote American dream, you know, 
when you study sociology, you see that when people are here generation after generation, you know, that first generation is just trying to survive, and then the next generation is try, trying to survive and even strive a little, and then the third generation is full of strivers and they're getting education. And Well, by the time you get to fifth and sixth, you know, we're experiencing some decadence, we're experiencing some moral decay, you know, there's those mm-hmm. possibilities that begin to take place. And, and in my family, we're still full of, like, young strivers. So even with my age, I still find myself striving for certain ideals that still feel close to me. You know, mm-hmm. in my family right now, I'm the only homeowner. There's mm. five generations alive in my family. And, you know, the, the younger people in my family like my uh, youngest sister who's 25 years younger than me and my brother's daughter, you know, they, they've just, got, just gotten home. But they're young, mm-hmm. you know. They, in terms of my family, all that stuff, it wasn't even on the radar. We were living in apartments, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, so there's, there's things that, that, you know, just on a personal level, I came up with a lot of philosophy. I came up with a lot of, um, yeah, I mean, you know, my dad was talking to us about philosophy, you know, so we kind of sort of wouldn't notice that we weren't eating. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Like, I've missed meals as a kid, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't all, you know, uh, but I, I never felt hungry, if you know what I mean. I was mm-hmm. always full because I was being taught, like, how to persevere, how to manifest courage, how to keep fighting no matter what. You know, that, that's really the core of who I am. You know, I often tell was, people that, that, you know, when you look back, like, there, like you're saying, like, there were things that, that happened, but at the time I didn't think that we were poor. I thought we were learning. I mean, I look back and, and there are so many things that, that you learned that help you have that character to persevere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I see that my grandmother was from Barbados. I mean, she came to this country and fought for voter registration mm-hmm. from, you know, from her 20s on. I mean, Shirley Chisholm was her home girl from Barbados. She's the first black woman to run for president, you know. Mm-hmm. And there was my grandmother, you know. And and in the early, in my teenage years, she was dragging me around, you know, the political things and, you know. So I just learned from someone who had to become a, an American citizen how to become an American, mm-hmm. you know, and. Uh, and it's so funny because, you know, a lot of times when a lot of black people are together, we all assume that we're from the same tribe or that we were raised the same way or we ate the same food. And, and that's not true for black people. It's not true for white people. It's not true for any people. We are not the same. We have different cultural backgrounds. We learned different values. We ate different foods. We did different, uh, you know, I just think this, just this gloss over of this, dichotomy all the time of gay and lesbian and 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 trans and bi and 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 black and white it's it's just it's we're cheating ourselves in a certain sense mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, of the richness and the fullness of who we are. You know, mm-hmm. and I just don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to be complicit with having my all the many parts of me just wiped out in a sweep, in a brush stroke, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, how important do you feel? I mean, you know, because we are of a certain age where we see life, okay? Do you feel, how important do you feel also that it is that you you do share some of these, these past ex- experiences? I was talking with Mimi Gonzalez, you know, at Creating Change, and we were talking about she was in a room with a lot of lesbians, and none of, many of them, like a majority of them, had never heard about the Michigan Women's Music Festival. And, you know, and she said there was, there was a part of the culture that, you know, people need to know that this, this has happened. Do you feel that sometimes that, that you need, there are things that you've seen, things that you've learned, that history that you live that you need to pass on or share or make sure that people are aware of? Um, sometimes I do, frankly, and sometimes I don't. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, to, to mention the importance of, like, a Michigan Women's Music Festival, it has its place, and at the same time, I don't know so much that it's my job to... I don't. I, I, I fluctuate because at my core, I am an educator. I am a teacher, and yet at the same time, this world is so vast, and people come out in so many different ways. I'm not a black woman who came out in the pool hall. Mm-hmm. I'm not a black woman who came out at the bar. You know, I'm not a, a black woman who came out at the house party. You know, I I came out in college. So mm-hmm. I heard about feminism at college. And at that time, you know, our parents erroneously thought that becoming a lesbian was like catching a disease from white women. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's just absolutely not true. Many of us grew up with the two aunts that lived together, you know, but just because mm-hmm. we never said Aunt Leslie and Aunt Faye are lesbians didn't mean they weren't, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that they had to go to the Michigan Women's Music Festival to find out if they were or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 I just think it's just we're all having different experiences. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm very happy that. I got to know about Mishfest. As an entertainer, I would have to say in the lesbian community primarily, probably Mishfest and, and, and Olivia, I owe a great debt to both of them, Olivia Travel and the Michigan Women's Music Festival. They were the national venues that made, helped me uh, in my career as a lesbian comic. Mm-hmm. So I'm indebted to, to both of them. I still work with Olivia. This is year 29. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm indebted to that. And there's many, many, many lesbians who have never been on an Olivia cruise, and they will probably never go on one. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's just another cultural community. And that's how I look at these as cultural communities. I mean, there are women who went to Mishfest who will never party with you and me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I would come to Detroit hotter than July, and that was off the chain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, you and I were with, with NBJC, and there were a lot of people that didn't even know about that organization. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we had a, a group here, and it was called Women to Women, and they were young African-American lesbians. And um, I was talking to another woman who went there and, you know, who they wanted to put the cloak of elder on. But then not only did they put the cloak of elder on, but then there was this almost like, well, you know, you guys weren't out enough because we didn't know that you guys were doing all of this stuff, and it would have made it easier for them as young lesbians had they known we were out there doing it. But it's a different time, you know. It's a different time and a different space. And uh, Debrea was saying that, like, afterwards she wanted to do this film, and she invited some of these elders to come to Women to Women, and they were like, you know, well, that's exactly why we're not going to come, you know. Do you ever find that, that people want to, first of all, put you in a box as an elder and then, like, sort of think that your experience maybe is in the past or isn't relevant? No, I don't really find that very much happening with mm-hmm. me. What I try to do is I'm very aware that we're also uh, ageist. It's another mm-hmm. one of those isms. And I'm, I really strive hard to keep my own ageism in check because I have young adults, I have children, my children mm-hmm. are 36, 47, and 49. Uh, I have uh, 10 grandchildren, three of whom are in their late 20s, and I have two great-grandchildren. I don't think I can have the luxury of – I don't want to be an elder looking down. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and quite frankly, uh, role modeling is important. So in order for me to model certain, uh, I prefer to model certain attributes that I learned of being courageous and compassionate and wise and uh, I, wanna, I, I, I find that I listen more as I'm getting older. You know, I'm pretty talkative. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I engage in the speech art, speaking art. So I have plenty to say, and yet at the same time, in order to acknowledge that even children are not blank slates. I mean, you know, I I studied adult education. You know, that pedagogy of the past said that children were blank slates. Well, you've had a child. You know that's not true. Mm -hmm. Children come here with personalities and certain ideas and thoughts. There's food. They're not going to make them eat carrots if they don't want carrots. That's right. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you cannot, this idea of molding someone and and making them do what you want to do, you have to bully someone to make all that happen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen naturally. You know what I'm talking about as a mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we had yeah. males. And I was a feminist. And there were certain ways, yes, I'm very happy with a lot of the behavior that behaviors that my son exhibit and yet I'm not going to deny biology mm-hmm. there's some things my feminism could not override you know and so I just find myself wanting to be like a really equal participant I'm finding Michelle as I get older 
equity and parity is are more than just words. It's important for me to live that way, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't want to be cast. To me, Ruth Ellis was an, an, an elder, mm-hmm. you know. I am not an elder. I, I don't feel that way about myself, you know. But, you know, I, I, I'm yeah, older, Ruth. Uh-huh. but I don't feel like an elder, no. Yeah, yeah, but but even like I think that even though that there was a part that Ruth Ellis was an elder, but there were parts of her because like we had the Detroit Women's Coffee House and she'd be there. She talked with people like you know, um, you know. Sometimes she would have it, but there was parts that she related to people. She talked to people. I have to tell you my best my best Ruth Ellis story. Ruth Ellis came from the north end of Detroit. My mother did. And my mother was there once, and one day Ruth Ellis said, you know what, had I met you when you were younger, I might have chased you down. And my mother looked at her and gave her a wink and said, you know what, I might not have ran. And I just fell out that they were having this fun and laughter and joy, and they weren't sitting there like on their high horses like, we are the elders, come kneel before us, show us due respect. They were both saying, you know, we're alive, vibrant women which is a little seasoned. And that's yes. what I want to be. You know, uh, I don't want to be anybody's elder. I want to be seasoned, but I want to be open to hearing from somebody who is anywhere from, you know, newborn telling me something to someone who might be older than me. I, you know, I want to be open to all those experiences. I think that, I think that for us, mm-hmm. there's still that cloak of fear that we have. You know, I I still am very much aware of myself as a lesbian who came through a time when women were leaving their husbands and telling their husbands if they told them that they were lesbians and risking the possibility of getting beaten mm. or losing your children. Mm-hmm. You know, I took my son when I was in my 20s And my dad got me a one-way ticket to California, and I took my baby because my uh, former husband's uh, parents were threatening to take the child from me. And in 1973, there's no way I would have won custody of my child as a lesbian in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It wouldn't have happened. Mm Mm-hmm. I you know, don't know. I don't know that the les- young lesbians of today who are even having their children, you know, between the two of them without husbands and stuff like that, are risking loss of their child in the way that we that we risk. Mm-hmm. And I mean, because so you're, like I, you said, there, there was that my... there was that stigma. I mean, because the thing that you say, I heard that same thing. Oh, uh, you know that. First of all, of course, I was going to turn him gay. You know, you don't know what to do with a boy. You're going to make him turn out just like you. I'm going to, well, you know, first of all, he's a boy. You know, but, but that inability that somehow I wouldn't be able to, and those threats of, you know, taking your child away. And, you know, I was at this thing, and they're talking about, you know, buying this stuff and, you know, impregnating it and easier, you know, and, and have, they don't know that, you know, and that's a real fear. Yeah, well, but I, I do acknowledge that it was a fear for me. I don't want to cast that on to, uh, you know, younger people. I don't, I, I don't want to. I have to listen 
to what their experience is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that we can share. And I think that that mutual respect is what really matters, mm-hmm. you know. We, mm-hmm. have to, we have to respect each other. You know, we don't have to, but it would be great to, to live in a world that had more um, respect in it, just in general. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to yeah. take our first break, and when we come back, I want to talk about this, this degree that you personally designed. So we will be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. And if you're just joining me, I am speaking with Karen Williams. She's a comic, motivational speaker, and humor educator. You know, you personally designed your major in humor and and healing. How did that come about? I mean, you know, usually you figure, you know, you've got this, that, and the other. And when you said, you know, announced to whomever that you wanted to to develop this, this major in humor and healing, you know, did people sort of go like, you know, not business, you know, not, not this and that? How did you? Oh, no, it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a particular opportunity uh, at Cleveland State University. Um, I went back to school in my 40s, and I just started right at the beginning. Although I had taken college courses over the years and all of that, I just said, I'm just going to start right at the beginning. So there was a school at Cleveland State University called First College. And mm-hmm. at First College, you could design your own, pers- if they had a PDM program, a personally designed major program. So I sat with a counselor and I talked about my HaHa Institute, which I had had since 1988. So I went back to school in 1995. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, talked, I talk to them about creating a degree in human therapy. But the use of the word, word therapy would have taken on a, a psychological and, a, you know, would have been more heavily, um, uh, like, in the field of counseling or, mm-hmm. you know, had more of a medical or a psychology component to it. So we settled on the humor and healing, which, you know, I had my Institute of Humor and Healing Arts, so it fit. And mm-hmm. so what I did was create a curriculum around the various components. I had still had to take, for two years, take, you know, the required courses, but then I took additional courses in philosophy and religion and dance and movement arts and components that I felt um would round out 
uh, kind of like the healing art part. And then for the humor part, uh, I wrote a lot of papers about, um, you know, just about laughter and humor and how uh, about um, the pioneers of human healing like Alan Klein and, you know, and Dr. Joseph Mayo and, um, you know, just di- different people who have done research on the importance of, of humor. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Norman Cousins and, you know, it, it, at that time there weren't any women that I was able to find research. Since that time there are many, many more women, thank goodness. I found out later on that some people, some women from MIT kind of unearthed some women pioneers in the study of humor and healing. But at that time, I only had men, Bernie, Dr. Bernie Siegel, people like that who were actually doing work around that. You know, Dr. Norman Cousins coined the phrase, laughter is the best medicine, and he was a mm-hmm. professor at UCLA. So, yeah, so that's what I did, and I did the the you know, four-year degree in three, and then I did my master's degree. So in five years at Cleveland State University, I was able to get two degrees. And so that kind of, now first college no longer exists, Mm. but it did, and I'm happy that I took advantage of it. How do you feel like when you, you know, you went back and you you did this and you'd already had started the institute, how did taking this, for lack of a better word, formal training, in this and education, how did that change or build upon what you had already started to do with the institute? Well, a lot of the work that I was doing with the institute was very intuitive, and uh, to my credit, I trust my intuition a great deal. I have some training in metaphysics and psychodrama and things like you know disciplines like that that I brought to the institute, and yet going to school helped me to understand what parts of my work were rooted, were Freudian or Jungian or, you know, that what, what, what I had more, um, uh, how can I say, more of a framework and a foundation for the work that I was already doing intuitively. Mm-hmm. So it just, it, I feel like it just enhanced my work. I was already, and then I specialized in curriculum design, well, I was already developing the curriculum for the HaHa ha Institute. It hasn't changed much since the beginning. Um, it just gave me a, a, a deeper foundation. And plus, we live in America. You know, a lot of the work that I'm able to do, I'm able to do now because I have that master's degree, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. it's, uh, this is America. You know, you can know something and, and know it, and then you tack on a, a degree at the end. And, oh, oh, great, oh, you're the expert. Well, I don't claim to be the expert, no. I, I, I love what I do, and so I study it, you know. Mm-hmm. I have a library filled of books, you know, with books. I buy books all the time about mm-hmm. humor and, and humorists, you know. So mm-hmm. it's just something that I continue to study. Has it changed the way that you do comedy? Uh, my education. Yeah, I mean, and, and that whole experience of being part of the Institute and the people that you're working with and the, the experiences that you see and how you're thinking about um, 
comedy is healing. I mean, has it has it brought any part of that into where you've changed maybe part of your routine to where I, I you're, so. you're using it? I think the biggest part that the comedy has played for me is that it's helped me to heal myself, and therefore I believe in the transformative power of humor because mm-hmm. I started out, you know, as a comedian who was very, very angry. I felt very unempowered. I, you know, suffered from depression. Um, I had my own, you know, it's like the societal ills that we see outside of us, if only people would realize that if we weren't sick, our society wouldn't be sick. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I feel that congruence of, you know, myself and the world. You know, if we if we really stopped blaming and took more responsibility for creating a health healthier people, we'd have a healthier society. It makes sense to me. I don't really understand mm-hmm. why we're always looking outside and blaming when in reality everything that exists outside of us is inside of us. You know, mm-hmm. we don't, we don't, you know, some of us are not as violent as other people, but to say that we would not or could not be violent is not the truth. You, mm-hmm. When you were with your little boy, if somebody came along and in your full cue tried to snatch your son from you, would you say you wouldn't try your best exactly. to beat that person to a pulp? Exactly. Exactly. So you know. We, so how do we how do we challenge those violent impulses impulses? Mm-hmm. You know, that we all have. And at the same time we have these really godly or Buddha like Impulses as well. We see somebody on the street, and you you, you don't want to help someone who's homeless because you're convinced mm-hmm. they're an alcoholic or they're a drug addict or they're mentally ill or they're somehow the other. And then you think about all the years you could barely pay your rent, and before mm-hmm. you know it, you're reaching in your wallet and you're giving the person some money for food. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that's one of the things you talk about, compassion. And, and, and there is, I mean, it's so important to be, to, to have people to be compassionate, to be empathetic. And, you know, and from the different mediums, I, I was telling to someone, you know, and I knew some people who were very into Buddhism, and they, they brought me into it. And one of the things is, like, I apologized to somebody. who said, why did you apologize? And I said, you know, because intentionally or unintentionally thinking about it, I recognized that I had done harm, even if you didn't feel that harm. And you acknowledge that and to be able to say that and being in touch with, with that humanity. And we don't do that. You know, we just step over people. I mean, that, that's part of what it is like that you see that's wrong. You know, people don't have that compassion. Don't remember the day when, like you said, when you're trying to figure out how you were trying to figure out how to eat and that you can't do that, be compassionate to someone because they don't Society has said, oh, there's something wrong with them, you know. We've lost that. Well, yeah, not, and, and, and the thing about it is, but it's easily found. Mm-hmm. If, if, we, if we did not do this intense separation thing, this, this thing that we're taught, that I am separate from you, mm-hmm. that, you know, you know, we have words, interconnectedness, intersectionality, all of these mm-hmm. big 
giant words that that only mean we have to perceive ourselves as one. We must to save this planet. I just bought a book on Amazon called Thirst, and it's a big, fat book. I haven't even started to read it, but I bought it because this guy that I read about on Facebook who was, you know, a nightclub guy and did events, and he said he made probably 200000 a year, and he was dating models and this and that and the other, and he went to some country somewhere where the people's water was so contaminated that they had growth coming out of their face that looked like the size mm. of another head coming out of their faces. And he was like, wow. And he started collecting money from his friends who came to his nightclub, you know, to hear him DJ and stuff, and start, started going around the world, particularly in Africa, and, and building wells. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, he had no relationship to Africa, Africans, wells, uh, none of that. And now he has a nonprofit, and they don't, the, the guys, the kids don't, I mean, he's in his 30s or 40s maybe, they don't even get paid. Mm-hmm. They use all of this money to put in wells, and he's gone back and he's seen that some of the wells that he put in 15 years ago are still in operation, giving people clean water. Mm-hmm. I'm very impressed by that kind of stuff. I love that kind of stuff. And, you know, and that, and that it doesn't, when you really, you know, people always think about money, but it doesn't cost that much, but also the impact that you do. How do you measure wealth? Isn't wealth knowing that you've given back to the world that you came into? You know, I mean, in Somebody some ways. told me a long time ago that mm-hmm. wealth is managing your resources well. Mm-hmm. There's no number that says you're wealthy. There's no number. Mm-hmm. It's managing your resources well. I don't have a lot of money. People, I think people around me probably think I do because I'm one of these people who has learned how to manage my resources well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, and what does that mean? That means if you come over here and you're hungry, more than likely you're going to get fed. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that there are people today who will not give you a glass of water. They are too intensely concerned about their own cost to them personally. They never are able to transcend their own concern about themselves to help anyone. But we live in the law of cause and effect. That day is going to come where that person's going to have a need. And there mm-hmm. may or may not be anyone there for that person because they never gave. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we just don't think like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I would help your mother because I'm so prayerful and so connected that I know when I'm helping your mother, somebody is helping mine. Mm-hmm. And that's enough of a reason, you know, to, besides the fact that, you know, somebody's right in front of you and they're suffering, you want to be able to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't have the personality that can look suffering in the face and, and turn my eye. I turn my head. I just don't. Mm-hmm. And I don't judge the people that do. I'm, they're not in my world, Michelle. Mm-hmm. I don't even know too many of those people, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And that's why it's shocking to me. You know, everybody's freaked out about this administration and this and that and the other. I pay very little attention to it. Very little. I don't know any people like that. I don't want to know those people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't, I, I, I take it in in doses. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm not but you know, to poison my life with that, with that, mm-hmm. all that negativity. And, you know, because uh, I was talking to someone and, like, they were saying, you have to be able to see the humanity in people. And I was talking about, I was at someone, and there was a woman there who said that, um, you know, they said, well, why would you even talk to her? You know, you know wh- who she voted for? I said, because we talked about the future we wanted to see for children, you know. And, you know, and in that conversation, we were able to get beyond this this vitriol to talk about the future we wanted to see because there was a child in the room and to talk about this kid and what we wanted to see about education, clean water, and that, and that this child, every child should grow up feeling loved. And we were both able to give love to people. So uh, to be compassionate and empathetic and to not, you know, like you said, not full of hate, oh, I don't like them and I think, to open your heart, it's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find? Mm-hmm. Do you find are people when some people come to the Ha Ha Institute are they surprised at what they're seeing or when they ask you about it? Do they come thinking you're going to teach them how to to tell some jokes or and then they come and find out oh, no, so no, much no. more? The, no, the Ha Ha Institute is a virtual institute. Mm-hmm. So mostly it's not a brick-and-mortar place, so the way that people find out about it is they're referred to the website. And mm-hmm. then from the website they can see what it is that might, you know, be of interest to them, and then they'll either reach out to me by, you know, mostly email. Sometimes mm-hmm. people call, but mostly email. And it's usually around something pretty specific. Um, mm-hmm. Very few people approach me through the the Haha Institute um, for uh, comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they can because that's my website, and they can find me that way. But I get approached a lot of different ways to actually, you know, where I'm asked to perform. And I've watched it evolve over the years. I mean, when I first started, I think I had three or four phone lines and. And then, you know, faxes would start worrying, and, and then it became, you know, uh, email and stuff like that. I get people now that ask me to do comedy for their event or something like that on Messenger. I get a mm-hmm. lot of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the medium always shifts. But, um, you know, that's just because I've been around for so long, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just adjust to that accordingly, but... Now, largely people that want workshops or a speaking, you know, want to book me for a speaking engagement come through the Ha Ha Institute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's how that works. Mm-hmm. So I know that once you were here in Detroit and one of our organizations was having some, some issues and you worked with them. You know, you sort of came in and sort of talked to them about, you know, you didn't do a full thing, but you came in and you talked to them about their issues of diversity and inclusion. And, mm-hmm. you know, although I think that in the, in the period of time, you also did a benefit for them where you were on stage. You know, so, I mean, 
does, is it easy for you to shift from one to another, from being that educator, um, from being an entertainer to being the educator? Um, you know, I, it's interesting for me as as a as a person. I really strive to be pretty. Uh, almost what you see is what you get. I really try strive for that inner harmony. So. I'm not a person that really does a lot of um, compartmentalizing of myself. I don't mm-hmm. do that really at all. I'm, you, you know, you know me as a person, mm-hmm. as a friend, and you know, I really, I'm just like, hey, girlfriending on stage. You know, I'm just, I don't see myself as someone who, you know, has all these different compartments for my personality. I just don't see myself that way. So. Mm-hmm. I I don't know that I'm that way. I think I just have different skills, and at different times I use different skills, you know. But basically I'm pretty funny all the time, and, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a certain context I'm funny about different things. But, you know, my personality is pretty much the same. You know, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think of myself in compartments like that. Mm-hmm. Do you find that do people have a hard time dealing with that? Because, you know, that's the other thing that I like about you is, like, you and I both do a whole bunch of things, but we always are, you know, we're us, you know. And I had someone once sort of say, how do you do that? You know, you're supposed to turn off this, and I'm going like, well, I bring my full self into everything. Do you find that sometimes that you, you know, that people are surprised that you're bringing your full self into everything? You're, you're, you're caring. Yeah, no, I and and then that's the other thing. I don't have a lot of. I don't hear what people think about me. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I just think by my personality, um, I don't hear a lot about me. So mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't influence me. Like I'm not. You know, I thought it was really cute in a way, and it's sad in another way. That like Cardi B, you know, like she, the first, you know female rap artist, right, to win the Grammy. And like mm-hmm. she said last year when she didn't win for her single, everybody was up in arms. Now that she did win, lots of people are giving her a lot of ish about it. And mm-hmm. to the point that she deleted her Instagram, I'm like, who are these people? You know, like, I just don't get a lot of that stuff. I mean, I'm not Cardi B. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. But I've just never gotten a lot of stuff from people mostly because I stabilize myself in my home life. Mm-hmm. I don't put my everything into my work, you know, in, into my work life. I don't define myself as just a comic or that that's something I do. That's not who I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's a hard one because, yeah, I'm funny. You know, I'm funny a lot. Even when I'm being casual and with my friends, I'm funny. Um, but I don't, I don't get a lot of feedback from people. I just don't. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad I don't. I don't mm-hmm. think I could live up to all of that, what people think about me. I, My dad told me well, a long time ago, what you think about me is none of my business. And <laughs> I'm kind of glad. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. get a lot of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. it, 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 it's not, you know, sometimes it's sort of like, 
how many likes and all, you know, if you're happy and with you. And I know that there are many times when you are in your circle, you know, I've been to to your home, and it, it just feels like it feels like being home. It's with a group yeah. of people, many who, you know, I may not have met before, but we just sort of all hang and we're just being ourselves and being happy and to provide, to be able to, to it's a space that people make about them and you make mm-hmm. it by not having all these other things so you attract those kind of people. And like I said, we just always have a good time, you know, and that's what's really great. When you, okay, what would, and I've seen you with your granddaughters, one of them, and I've seen your great-granddaughters and you see all of that. When you look at back at, at how far you've come and you look at this is, this is little yous, little bits of seeds of you in each of them, you just go like, wow. I saw one thing where you said how, about how you were being happy was when you, you were doing FaceTime with, I don't know if it was your granddaughter, your great-granddaughter, mm-hmm. and there was such joy. I mean, mm-hmm. back there when you were, you got that ticket and you took your son and you went to San Francisco, you know, does that, seeing that face, does that make it all worthwhile? Oh, you know, I, you know, I love, I love people. I, I hate to admit that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I love people, and I love my people, and I love seeing friends. Like this uh, Saturday night, I'm going into Oakland. They're having a remembering Ashe, and I don't know if you remember Ashe, which was the newspaper or magazine. I think it was got to be 30 or 40 pages out of mm-hmm. Oakland. It was a lesbian magazine. Uh, black lesbian magazine that it lasted for about four or five years, and they're having a um, the Bay Area Lesbian Archives are having a celebration of that, and I'm going out there, and Jewel Gomez will be there, and Lynn Keller, who's this incredible photographer, and the two founders mm-hmm. of the magazine, and it's a big celebration, and I'm just so excited to see all my sisters there from. Oakland, and then, of course, I have my cousins there, and, you know, I'm just a person that's just really happy to, you know, be with these old friends, and, Mm -hmm. of course, when I have a chance to be with my family, I'm very excited about that, and so, yeah, I just like connecting. Now, at the same time, you've been to my house, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I like... And you've got a garden, you know? I mean, yeah, you know, I need my space to create and do my gardening and, you know, mostly just like detox from the road and all that mm-hmm. other kind of stuff, you know. You know, you've and got the place to have set. people mm-hmm. here all the time. Mm-hmm. Huh? I can see that, you know, because there yeah. is it. There's that part of it, like to come back and I, but then I can see you, and you've told me about it, but I can see you being out in the garden and how, the, how relaxing that would be. And that's all part of you, that being in the garden is the same as you having the tables lined up and we're all eating and playing games or dancing. I mean, you know, it's like that whole thing, and it, it just it fills you with joy. It fills me with joy thinking about it, you know. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's really what I like, and I just, you know, we're all the center of our own universes, and if we 
really, you know, want to have just a more loving and peaceful and kind and happy world. I mean, it's it has to be cultivated. It's really mm-hmm. it has it means it has to be important to the people, you know, enough mm-hmm. to make those causes, you know. And I I feel like that with you and in your world and. I feel so fortunate to have the friends that I have because we really put our beliefs and our love and our sense of justice and, you know, our striving for equality. We put all of that into our personal lives as well. And as a result, we have these really awesome lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, really awesome lives filled with really interesting people and we're activists, you know, you know, my my son because you were at the party, I asked him my uh Yousef, I said, How would you describe my party? And he was like, It was active. You know that was so <laughs> now we laugh. That's the word that we use now is active and you know, we are getting older and, you know, all that other stuff. Don't we want to be active? Mhm. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, so for him, that was really showing him, like, wow, Mom, you and your friends, you you know, they, you were, it was stuff for the kids, there was stuff for everybody. We, you know, mm-hmm. even the two, the couple that was there doing the catering were over there hugging and kissing and dancing, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It was, you know, so he, that has become our word, active. Well, it fits for you and I, we're activists. You know? That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that, that that is. I mean, and, and it's just like you know that that loving life and loving people and loving loving sharing the good. You know, there is so much good in humankind yes, that really we is. forget it. You know, and and to be able to talk about that, you know, yeah, uh, uh, that just like really makes you makes you feel great. We're going to take our second um, break, and then I want to come and talk about where you're headed. We've got some exciting news, so we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here with Karen Williams. Karen, you've got some really exciting news to me. You know, you've been doing this virtually, um, showing up, but now you're getting ready to take that next step and go from the virtual world to a bricks and mortar institute. So I'm so excited. Yes, I'm, the HaHa Institute is going to be the first business that's inside of the new LGBT center 
in Cleveland, Ohio. I am thrilled. Um, it looks like the targeted open date for the center is May 2nd. So I am going to be planning some kind of open house for the HaHa ha Institute in June. That's, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know when, and I will definitely, you'll be on the invitational list, of course. So, you know, that's very, very exciting for me. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to create some internship programs for youth and just become that much more involved in the uh, LGBT community in Cleveland through my work with the HaHa ha Institute. And, of course, I'll also continue to you know, work nationally and do the work that I've been doing. But this is, mm-hmm. yeah, and this is very exciting for me. Is it that, you know, is it part of a national evolution that now you feel that it's time to have that physical space? Well, I've been on the road for 30 years, and Michelle, mm-hmm. if I could be home just a little bit more, I think I would like that. And I'm saying that as I'm setting off on my tour. I'm touring my new show, Karen Williams Alive, and uh, I've had a couple of good shows already. And like I said, I'm heading to Oakland on uh, Saturday night and then uh, winding up with uh, black lesbians there in Atlanta next weekend. And, you know, it just goes on and on. I'm, I'm coming to Detroit on March 2nd. And mm-hmm. then I'm leaving on the 4th. I'm going to be in Cuba for a couple of weeks. And, yeah, I've just got a very, some very exciting stuff coming up. So, you know, I'm looking forward to it. And, so what, what, uh, mm-hmm. Okay, so who's going to mind the store? You know, who's going to do, I mean, what all needs to happen for you to make the Ha Ha Institute, you know, real? And what's, what are people going to see when they walk in the door? Well, I'm going to have an office there in the LGBT center in Cleveland, and right away I'm going to get some interns to do some of the stuff of the HaHa Institute, which is research, continue to research, to archive, um, to also I'm I'm hoping to train a couple of people uh, on how to be booking agents because you know that that's mm-hmm. a real uh, blank space in our community. We have, all, like you, we have all these writers, poets, artists, and all of that. And we don't have people to book, mm-hmm. you know, these tours and stuff. So I'm going to be training people in that. And then just, you know, uh, just the general office stuff to keep, uh, you know, the HaHa Institute going and promoting. So promotions, marketing, I mean, it's, you know, I can have really – full-bodied programs there and use the Institute as a, a training ground. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of my hopes. And then it will also evolve. I mean, there's a whole part of it. I don't know what I'm going to do, mm-hmm. which is exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, I mean, really, I mean, you know, like, it's like, who knows? I mean, it's, it's almost like what they say, if you build it, they will come. Well, that's you know, right. That's All this right. stuff is going to come and, and go to it. So you're looking at a May 2nd um, opening, and then for, for, along the way you're the, going to be. the LGBT Center, yes. And okay. then I'm going to have my own opening of the HaHa ha mm-hmm. Institute once they are established. So is this center new in Cleveland? 
There's a center now, but this is a, a built-from-the-ground-up center. Yeah. Uh-huh, the place uh-huh. we have now is a place, you know, that was underground, you know? Mm. Like you walk mm-hmm. down into it. Now we've got our own standalone building. Wow. Right in the heart of, you know, the um, lower west side of Cleveland, and it's really a very up-and-coming, exciting area. So mm-hmm. it's it's really going to be quite um, impressive, and our um, LGBT Center Executive Director Phyllis Harris is one of the few, if not one or two, uh, EDs of uh, a center in the United States. Mm-hmm. African American wow. woman, so mm-hmm. African American lesbian, so you know there's there's that as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's wow. exciting. Yeah. It is. I mean, it really is exciting, you know, because we went through that, you know, getting that, there's something about that, that place, that sense of place where people can come, people can see, even people who pass by. It, it, mm-hmm. It's more, it's really saying that we're here and part of the community and how great it is that right there in Cleveland, you know, it, it's really doing more than saying, oh, well, we're LGBTQ friendly. We've got a space of our own, and you're going to be right there with it. So you've got mm-hmm. your tours, you've got that, um, um, you've got the center. What else are you going to do, or are you, do you just need the other time just to be you and relax? Well, yes, I, you, you, you might have to just say that, that maybe every now and then I might need to take a rest or go do yoga, which I love, or, you know, just uh, pay attention to my life, my personal life, my love life, and mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, cook at home. Now, I know that you were on, on television re- recently talking about the YWCA of Greater Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and you were... The LGBT center, are they close to each other? Is oh, there no, no, a... no. This is something totally different. I was, uh-huh. I, I'm doing a talk tomorrow on, um, they, they, they call it Does Humor Heal? And mm. really I'm talking about diversity, and that's a talk I'm giving tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock on behalf of the YWCA here of Cleveland. But so that has nothing to do with HaHa Institute, nothing uh-huh. to do with the LGBT center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, so that's okay. That's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I know that you're going, the Haha Institute is going to be inside the center, but you know, are you? I know you've done some fundraising. Do you still need fundraising? Do you still need community support for the institute? Yes, I do because it's quite an endeavor. I um, had done a GoFundMe, and I made it to a little more than halfway of my goal. But I kind of just took a little bit of a break because I wasn't really sure, you know, where the space was going to be. But I've just gotten it confirmed, like, in the past few days, you know, that I'm going to be in that center. So I'm going to revive the the fundraising aspect, yes. Mm -hmm. And I know you have a webpage for the HaHa Institute. Is there a place on that page where people can make donations also, right, directly through the HaHa Institute page? Facebook, no, it's not page. there. I get something I need to do. I haven't done that. I just have the GoFundMe right now. 
So that's mm-hmm. on my Facebook page, and also I have a link to that. So I should probably activate that link on my uh, Facebook page. So thank you for that uh, tip. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 So yeah, because mm-hmm. so, so if you're listening out there and you want to support the HaHa ha Institute, there, if you go to Karen's page, you can find GoFundMe. And, but if you want to know about the Institute, you can go to the HaHa ha Institute, and eventually you'll find the donation page. But um, these are things that it's out there, it's for you. And, you know, humor. There is a healing quality to it. And it's funny how, you know, how now we can laugh. Sometimes it can be something that can be so horrible and then later on to be able to look at it and laugh about it. And that mm-hmm. is part of a healing process. Yes, it is. It really mm-hmm. is. And so mm-hmm. let's just hope that we'll be able to look back on this current political scene not too far in the future and crack the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, that's going to be, you know, <laughs> really, you know, and, yeah. and, and to laugh at, and laugh at, you know, we were scared of that, you know. You know right, right. Because right. we are resilient and we're strong, and, you know, that resilience and that strength is what will always overcome, you know. They've tried to right. squash us for, for generations, but right. we're strong and we're resilient. Right. Well, Karen, I want to thank you so much for making the time to be with me today. Um, well, thank you. I look forward to seeing you when you're here in Detroit. Um, yes, you I'm somebody. very excited about that. So, uh-huh, yes, yeah, we definitely have to get together. Yeah, and, and, you know, I know that there's a couple places that you've mentioned about wanting to see. I want to show you that. And and to being in sistership with you yes. either in Cleveland or wherever we are together. It's just like, you know, I look forward to giving you a big hug and laughing. Oh, same here. Thank you so much, honey. Thank you for, for your perseverance and your persistence. <laughs> I okay. appreciate you a lot. And we will be down there, I'm going to tell you, being very fabulous when you open yes. that institute. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yes, I'm looking forward to it, honey. Thank you so much. Okay, well, thank you again, and I will be in touch with you soon. Okay, honey. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> I want to thank today's guest, comic, motivational speaker, and humor educator, Karen Williams. Karen is the founder and CEO of the International Institute of Humor and Healing Arts, the HaHa Institute. The HaHa Institute will be opening its bricks-and-mortar office in the new LGBTQ Community Center in Greater Cleveland. The center is currently under construction with an opening date planned for May of 2019. The HaHa Institute will open its doors in June. You can support the completion of the Institute and its ongoing programs. There's a link to the GoFundMe page and the Institute's website on Karen Williams' Facebook page. To book Karen Williams for a performance or any of the training programs offered by the Ha Ha Institute, visit the Institute's Facebook page. There's also a link there to its website. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 
and let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of a show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of air intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.